Easter. Happy Easter. So glad to see you guys today. Um, this is my 36th Easter on this planet. This is my first Easter as the pastor of a church. So, yeah. I've experienced it from the sidelines as a kids pastor and a youth pastor and small groups pastor previously, but never in this capacity. And I got to say that if I had to pick anybody to share my first Easter as a pastor with, I would pick all of you. So thank you guys so much for being here. It has already been an incredible day, and it's going to continue to be um, an incredible day. I believe that the Lord has given me a message for this season that is really going to help somebody today. So if you've got your Bibles um, or maybe a smart device you want to open with me or swipe with me to Mark chapter 5, you'll find the gospel of Mark. We call it the gospel because gospel means good news. And there are four gospels in this second chunk of the Bible. It's divided up into the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we go to the second chunk, the New Testament. And we have Matthew, Mark, where we'll be today, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. And the reason that they're good news, that we call them good news, is because they tell the story of a man named Jesus. And so we're going to talk about a piece of his story today, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. And we're going to land there in just a few minutes. So... Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes when there is a bit of a down moment, when there's a lull, maybe when nature calls from time to time, um, I tend to pull out my cell phone and just give social media a glance. You guys probably don't do anything like that, but I do from time to time, um, you know, just, just to kill a few minutes or hours or whatever, you know, and... Um, I notice that here, pretty much here lately, it seems to me that maybe the internet was invented for people to share pictures of their food and cat videos. Does anybody else feel that way? I feel like that that's all that I see in my social media feed, pictures of people's food and cat videos. I'm like, we all eat. Like, you don't have to share breakfast, lunch, and dinner. with. It's all good. It's all good. But that cat video is funny. I like that. I like that. But I'm, all, I'm always scrolling through this stuff to, to try to find, like, inspirational content. You know, I want, I want bulletin board material for myself. I want something that I can stick on my bathroom mirror to really, you know, get me charged up in the morning. Or, or I want to find stuff that, that I can encourage the staff that I lead here at Christ Walk, the incredible staff, the team that we have here. I, I want to find stuff that I can encourage them with or, or maybe stuff that can land in a sermon from time to time. And so I was scrolling and I was looking looking for some really good stuff, and, and I stopped, you know, like how you're swiping through, and then something caught my eye, and it started out, it was just, it was an image, and it had these words on it, and it started out, it said, you can be anything you want to be, and I was like, all right now, I can be anything I want to be, I believe I can fly, you know, that whole thing, and it, so it just started to happen or whatever, so, but then I read the rest of it, and I realized it said, you can be anything you want to be, unless you want to be younger, then it's hopeless, and I noticed in the mirror this burgeoning bald spot that I have, and I just began to weep. <laughs> a few posts later, I saw this story on social media. A man had gone to visit the doctor, and the doctor told him, I've got some, good, or I've got some bad news and some worse news. The bad news is, you've only got 24 hours to live. And the patient said, and, and the worst news? The doctor said, well, the worst news is, I meant to tell you this yesterday. 
And so I closed my phone and I put it up and I was like, that's enough. It's enough. Have you guys ever been in a situation that seemed hopeless? Anybody ever been in a situation that seemed hopeless? I think that we all have from time to time. And I think a lot of our hopelessness simply stems from the nightly news. I mean, you turn on the nightly news and here's some of the current issues that we are facing that we, that we hear and see on the nightly news every day. Education. Civil rights and racism, poverty, terrorism, pollution, government and po- political issues, immigration, bullying, unemployment, nuclear war, homelessness, overpopulation, abortion, healthcare reform, gun control, gender identity, LGBT rights, drugs and alcohol addiction, and that's just like the top 10 list, just the tip of the iceberg. That's by no means exhaustive. And it doesn't matter at what side of the aisle on those issues you stand. Anybody can look at that stuff and look at our world in general and just throw up your hands and say, it's hopeless. It's a lost cause, right? See, according to psychological experts, there's actually nine different types of hopelessness or or these roots that hopelessness finds itself in. Each of them is linked to three very significant, important elements in our lives, and that is those of attachment, mastery, and survival. And when one of those three elements, attachment, mastery, and survival, is threatened, then we begin to feel hopeless. Hopelessness is a destructive emotion that can significantly affect our well-being. And failure to combat and overcome this hopelessness can lead to even worse things in our life, such as depression. So for those of you taking notes or, or maybe you just want to enlighten yourself a little bit because I know you're curious, there's nine types of hopelessness. Well, what are they? Here's a running list. Number one, the root of hopelessness that a lot of people feel is feeling forsaken. Being forsaken means that you feel rejected, ignored, or abandoned in times that you badly need just someone to hold on to. The second one is alienation. People who feel alienated, they they think of themselves as being unworthy of love, care, and affection. They think they don't belong, which is what ends up alienating them from the people around them to begin with. The third one is Being uninspired. This is where you lack enough resources to pursue your goals or you constantly meet problems and obstacles and nearly any road that you decide to take and you live in a not-so-conducive environment and you find yourself then feeling uninspired. There's also the issue of powerlessness. These kind of people, they just lack control in their lives. They can't see or appreciate the talents, the gifts, the abilities that God has given them in their life, and and they discount the achievements that they're able to make, and they end up thinking that they are worthless. There's the, the issue of oppression. Oppressed individuals often engage in personalization and self blame, and because of their situation, they fall into thinking that they can no longer move forward. There's the issue of self-deficiency. These people um, lack financial resources or perhaps it's someone with some sort of physical impairment. They often find themselves unable to cope with life's challenges and lacking what's necessary to achieve success. These kinds of people think that they are innately deficient and that there's nothing in the world that can fulfill their limitations. There's the issue of doom. 
This takes place in someone who perhaps has been diagnosed with a life-threatening disease, and the only thing that they can think about is that death lurks right around the corner, a worst-case scenario kind of thing. There's the issue of physical and emotional captivity. We're not talking about just people in prison. Like, yes, that does have something to do with it, people being held captive by other people, but it can also mean being trapped in an abusive relationship, being treated like a slave, or simply being deprived of the freedom and the right to make your own decisions. And then finally, the ninth issue, the ninth root of hopelessness in people's lives is learned helplessness. People who feel helpless think they can no longer live safely in the world. They think they have no purpose in life, so each day results in them experiencing pure agony. Chances are, at some point in your life, at least one of those factors has contributed to a situation that has caused you to feel hopeless. In fact, some of you in this room right now are probably facing a situation at current that has left you feeling exactly that, hopeless. There's a guy in the Bible that I think can identify with what you and I feel whenever we face a hopeless situation. And we're going to read his story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Mark chapter 5, verse 21, it says, When Jesus went in the boat back to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him there. So here's what's happening. Jesus has been out, and he's been ministering to the people. He has been performing miracles and, and, and healing people, healing the sick and, and um, causing the lame to walk and, and the mute to talk and the deaf to hear and, and the blind are seeing and all this stuff. And it's created a bit of a ruckus. And so people are starting to learn about the things that Jesus is doing. And so everywhere Jesus goes, a crowd is gathering because they're not sure that they want to follow him yet, but they want to, they want to be a part of the show. They don't want to miss out on any element of the the, the so-called circus that's taking place surrounding Jesus at this time. They, they want to see it for their own eyes. And so Jesus gets out of the boat from where he's been ministering out of place. He crosses the lake and he gets out of the boat. And when he does, there is a crowd of people that are waiting on him. Verse 22, a leader of the synagogue named Jairus came there, saw Jesus and fell at his feet. He begged Jesus, saying again and again, My daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she will be healed and will live. So Jesus went with him. So Jairus, something you need to know about him is that he was a Jew. Not only was he a Jew, but he was a leader of the synagogue, which would have been a Jewish house of worship in the city of Capernaum. This is a, uh, a fishing village in northern Israel along the Sea of Galilee. It no longer exists. Um, it, it's crum been crumbled to the ground. But at the time, this would have been... Um, a northern uh, a fishing village along the northern Sea of Galilee, and, and Jairus was the, the leader. He oversaw the Jewish synagogue 
there for people to worship. So he would have been a religious leader of the time. He would have been immersed in Jewish religious laws and culture. And so Jairus comes to Jesus. He's a part of this crowd that day, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus. And here's what, um, here's what I know about Jairus. I don't know whether or not he was a believer. I don't know where he stood on whether, or like, what he thought about Jesus at this time. But, but what I do know about Jairus is, is that when we, when we come upon him in this story, when he's introduced to us, we see that he is a desperate man, that he was willing to try anything, even humble himself at the feet of this controversial religious figure that a lot of the Jewish religious leaders didn't like at all whatsoever. And he comes and he throws himself down in front of him at his feet and he begs for Jesus to do something so that his daughter can live. And then Jairus' worst nightmare takes place. The Bible tells us um, as we go through this passage that the crowd just pressed in on Jesus. And then that there was a woman in the crowd who had an issue of blood. She was literally hemorrhaging and had been doing so for um, 12 years. And she approaches Jesus and actually reaches out and touches the hem of his garment and is instantly healed. Only this creates all kinds of issues because this woman was unclean in accordance with religious uh, Jewish religious laws and customs, and she wasn't supposed to be in the crowd, and she also wasn't supposed to be touching anyone because her touching somebody would have made them unclean, and then we're talking about she didn't touch just anybody, she touched Jesus, and so all of a sudden, in all of this chaos and everything, time just stands still, and Jesus stops, and he's asking his followers, who touched me? Who touched me? Someone has touched me, and they're like, Bro, what are you talking about? All these people are touching you. Look at this crowd. It's thousands of people here. And he's like, no, somebody touched me. I felt healing power leave me. And so Jesus is looking around for who touched him. And it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack. And don't you know that Jairus is over going like, hey, man, like we got to get to this. We got some, you know, we got some business to take care of. There's, there's some, I've got a need. Don't you understand, Jesus? And so Jairus finds himself waiting on this woman. Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. You've had to wait on a woman before where she's done the, the unthinkable. She hands you her purse and says, will you hold this while I go try this stuff on? Y'all are laughing because you know it's true. And you know you're going to be stuck there for the next two or three hours. So hopefully they got a comfortable seat. And Jairus is experiencing this. He is having to wait on this woman who, in his mind, because of, because of his religious viewpoint and the laws and the culture of the day, she shouldn't even be there. And so this is an interruption that shouldn't even be take play, taking place. And so no doubt he's getting frustrated because time is of the essence. He knew that if action wasn't taken quickly, that his daughter was going to die. And I'm sure that he's wondering, Jesus, why are you not hurrying? Why are you not hurrying? Why are you taking so long? But it was in that moment, this moment of purpose, that Jesus was teaching Jairus something about his nature. His nature and his purpose are not like ours. See, sometimes Jesus requires us to be 
patient. Sometimes Jesus waits longer to act than we believe is rational. Sometimes Jesus will allow temporary suffering or loss to take place so that his glory can be fully revealed through the blessings that he places on our life. He doesn't work the way we think he should work. And so Jairus had the wrong idea. Jesus knew what he was going to do from the beginning, and so this was no issue to him. Let's pick it up in verse 35. I told you his worst nightmare took place. His worst nightmare was not the fact that he had to wait on the woman. This was his worst nightmare right here, verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of the synagogue leader, Jairus' house, and they said, Your daughter is dead. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. In essence, what they did, they they came to Jairus and they said, it's too late. It's too late. Verse 36, but Jesus paid no attention to what they said. He told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. See, in that moment, Jairus had a decision to make. He had a choice to make whether he was going to have fear or have faith. That was his choice. And when things don't go in accordance with our timing, when things don't go our way in our life, when things don't happen the way that we want them to happen or the way that we think they should happen, Jesus is presenting us with the very same choice. Are we going to respond in fear Or are we going to respond in faithfulness? That's the choice that we have to make today. Verse 37. Jesus let only Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, go with him. And when they came to the house of the synagogue leader, this is Jairus' house, Jesus found many people there making lots of noise and crying loudly. Jesus entered the house and said to them, Why are you crying and making so much noise? The child is not dead only asleep. But they laughed at him. They laughed at him. So after throwing them out of the house, Jesus took the child's father and mother and his three followers into the room where the child was. See, when Jesus got to this situation, it was filled full of negative people. And Jesus is saying, I don't understand what all the weeping and wailing is about. She's not dead. She's only asleep. And they're laughing. They're saying, Jesus, we have eyes. We can see what's going on here. She's laying down. She's not breathing. She hasn't moved in over an hour. You don't understand. And Jesus is saying, no, don't just look at the situation. Look at the situation. Don't focus on the facts. Focus on the fact that Jesus is in the house. His presence was there. And the people, they were, they were negative. And so what Jesus did, they, they refused to see that she was just sleeping, that they thought that she was dead. They thought that it was hopeless, that it was a lost cause. And so Jesus, what he did is he booted those people out of the house. See, negative people in our lives, we can't give them access or allow them to speak into our lives. You and I, we've got to get rid of the naysayers. Get rid of the naysayers in our lives because they're holding us back from experiencing what God really wants to do and can do in and through us. Verse 41, 
Taking hold of the girl's hand, he said to her, Talitha kum. This is Aramaic, and it actually means, young girl, I tell you to stand up. At once, the girl stood right up and began walking. She was 12 years old. Everyone was completely amazed. Upon being healed that day, the little girl, she didn't remain lying down. In fact, she didn't just stand up, but the Bible communicates, Mark writes, that she stood up and walked. See, when Jesus raises what is dead to life, he doesn't intend for the situation to stay the same way that it was. In fact, he doesn't intend for that person to stay in that same place. When Jesus raises the dead to life, he intends for them to move forward and to make progress. And so when he spoke to her, Talitha Kuhn, to to young daughter, stand up, get out of your situation, arise from your death, she stood up and she walked. She moved forward. Then verse 43, Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell people about this. Then he told them to give the girl something to eat. I find it interesting that this is in this passage. Give her something to eat. And I thought about it for a little bit, and I wondered, why would they include that little minute detail? Why would Mark deem necessary to write about that? Here's why. You don't feed dead things. You don't feed dead things. Food is wasted on that which is dead. See, this wasn't a trick that Jesus performed. It wasn't smoke and mirrors. It wasn't even something that was just temporary. See, this girl needed to eat because Jesus' intention was for her to live. Not just be alive now, but be alive and keep on being alive. That's why she needed to eat. Because we eat to stay alive. Jesus' intention was for her to live. Jesus' intention for you today is to live. In fact... It is the very foundation of the mission, the reason why he came to this earth. In the Gospel of John, John writes in chapter 10, verse 10, the thief, talking about the devil, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that they may have life, and life to the fullest, life in all of its abundance. And see, that day, Jairus' servants, they had thrown in the towel. The wailers and the mourners, those crying over this young lady, they had accepted death. Jairus himself, he wrestled with whether he would be able to establish faith in place of his fear that day. His daughter was dead. He had seen it with his own two eyes. And in that moment, all hope seemed lost. Enter Jesus. What I came to tell somebody today, and if you don't hear anything else that I say today, hear this. With Jesus, it's never too late. 
with Jesus, it's never too late. It doesn't matter what the situation is, how bad the circumstance seems. With Jesus, it is never too late. It's not too late for your marriage. Oh, but Pastor Blake, you don't understand. He came to me this week and said he didn't love me anymore. He's just not in love with me anymore. I'm here to tell you, that doesn't matter. It's, It's not too late. It's not too late for your kids. And you say, no matter what we try, we just, we just can't seem to get through to them. We just can't seem to help them see that the decisions that they are making are destroying their life. And you're ready to throw in the towel. You need to, you need to understand that it's not too late. It's not too late for your finances. I don't care that there's more months than there is money. I don't care that the bills just keep stacking up and on and on and on. I don't care that the creditors are calling you day in and day out. It is not too late for Jesus to do a miracle. It's not too late for your health. So what? The doctor said you've got six months to live. So what? I know the great physician. His name is Jesus. And with him, it is not too late. He doesn't operate based on what the doctor's report is. He operates on what his report is. It's not too late. It's not too late for your habit or your addiction. And you say, no matter what I try, the the cravings are just too intense and the urges are just too much. And no matter what, every single time I give in, you need to know it is not too late. It's not too late for your lost loved ones. You've shared the gospel with them time and time and time again, and they're just not interested. And at times you wonder, should I even bother anymore? Is it even worth the hassle? Is it even worth the effort? It is not too late. It's not too late for you. You are never too far gone. See, others, they may have looked at you, they may have looked at your situation, and they may have deemed it hopeless. They may have labeled you helpless and written you off as nothing more than a lost cause. Some of you here in this room, you've come to believe that lie yourself. You've tried it all and nothing seems to work. All hope seems lost. But could it be that just maybe God hasn't moved in your situation yet because he's wanting you to get to the place where you are totally and completely desperate for him and him alone, where you realize that it is by his grace and his power that the miracle that you have been longing to see happen can take place. With Jesus, it is never too late. I came here this morning to tell somebody, you are not dead. You are blessed and you are called. You are healed. You are whole. You are highly favored. You are anointed. You are saved today in Jesus' name. And today Jesus is speaking to you and he's saying, Talitha Kuhn, some of you need to stand up and get out of your death and take hold of the promises that God has for your life today. Thank you for listening to the Christ Walk Podcast. 
For more information about Christwalk Church, please visit thechristwalk.com.